So uh, my topic is entitled Sleep and Brain Health. Um, and in preparing for this talk, uh, originally was prepared for uh, physicians and nurses at Providence uh, St. Mary Medical Center. So some of these slides I brought in from that, and, and the slide's gonna be very busy at times. So when it gets really busy, uh, just listen to me at that time, okay? <laughs> uh, then uh, I think that'll go better that way. So, um, so let's get started. Um, I'd like to start with some questions first, and these questions were obtained from NIH National Center on Sleep Disorder Research for patient education. And so first question, true or false? Sleep is a time when your body and brain shut down for rest and relaxation. True or false? Correct, false. Um, although sleep is a time when your body rests and rest restores its energy levels, sleep is an active state that reju rejuvenates and heals your body and is critically needed in cognitive and mental well-being. Like diet and exercise, healthy sleep is critical for our well-being. So number two. True or false, the primary cause of insomnia is worry. False, you're very smart. <laughs> insomnia has many different causes. The most common causes for insomnia I see in my clinic are poor sleep habits, sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, depression and anxiety, and circadian rhythm disorder. And I'll explain about circadian rhythm disorder later. If you have difficulty sleeping for more than one month, you should seek for sleep specialist help. And the reason for this will become more apparent as you listen to this lecture. Number three, true or false, more people doze off at the wheel of a car in the early morning or mid-afternoon than in the evening hours. Oh, very smart, true. We all have biological clock that helps our body and mind to function well during the day and rest at night. This program rhythm helps my body to function and your body to function well by anticipating day and night. This biological rhythm makes me most sleepy during two periods. So the most sleepy time is between midnight and 7 a.m. and the less intense sleepiness in the afternoon. We all get kind of sleepy after lunch, don't we? So if I don't sleep well, I'm at most risk of falling asleep while driving at these times more than in the evening hours. So I want to talk to you more now about biology of sleep. There are two processes that drive our sleep and wakefulness. The first is circadian rhythm or the biological clock drive which we just had a little introduction to. And the second sleep drive is called the homeostatic drive. Let me explain. Let me start with a story from the oldest book in the world, the Bible. Genesis story is one of my favorite. The story tells us that God prepared a perfect home for us, the planet Earth. He did this by creating the necessary condition and environment day by day, successively building one stage at a time. So why do you think God created light on the first day before anything else? Did you know that just about every living thing on earth have day and night 24-hour rhythm? For example, when you look at this bacteria expression of its genes, it has a 24-hour day-night rhythm. Scientists call this circadian rhythm. All plants have 24-hour rhythm as well. For example, mimosa plant leaves are open during the full light of the day and closes in the dark of the night. Surprisingly, the same rhythm of opening and closing of the leaves continue in constant darkness, hidden in a box away from the day and night light changes. So this means that there is some kind of an internal mechanism in the plant that drives this 24-hour rhythm pattern, isn't there? 
In humans, we cycle rhythmically through the 24-hour with different behavior and physiological changes depending on the hour of the day and night. The most obvious behavior change is sleep, but there are other physiological changes that occur as well. For example, body temperature and blood pressure decrease as the night progresses. Then, in anticipation for the day, they begin to rise about an hour or two before we wake up from sleep. This physiological change continues despite staying awake through the night. This is controlled by our clock chains. Why is this important? Well, one-third of our genes within each cell are expressed rhythmically in 24-hour cycles. So in an individual, all the cells in that person's body must function in harmony, synchronized with each other in order for the body to work well and for the person to be able to maintain life. In the cells functioned, uh, if the cells function independently of each other, the organs will not function well, and that person will get sick very quickly. Like a clock that can't keep time because the mechanical spokes inside don't lock and fit well together. Take heart, for example. If the two billion muscle cells in the heart work independently of each other, what do you think would happen? That heart would not work very well, would it? And so similarly, for the body to function optimally and to sustain health, all the cells must work together in harmony, synchronized with each other, and it must be synchronized to the present time environment of day and night. This helps our body to work smoothly by anticipating the physiologic changes that's needed through the changes of day and night. So it appears that God created day and night for an important biological purpose for us all and all the living things on earth. Because without this fundamental biological rhythm working well, we or any living organism on earth cannot function well or sustain life. It appears that God had a master plan to create a home that is perfectly fitted for us. Unfortunately, living a poor lifestyle and sleeping and eating at wrong times can disrupt this rhythm and lead to diseases. So, now let's get into science a little bit more of how sleep and circadian rhythm work. So this is going to get a little bit deep, okay? So stay with me. So first, let's see how circadian rhythm work. There are several clock genes that have been discovered that regulate our body rhythm. We already learned about body temperature and blood pressure um, are controlled by the clock genes. Some of the other apparent rhythms controlled by the clock genes include various hormones and urine production. The clock genes are closely linked to important genes that regulate our metabolism. For example, this nuclear protein called Rever Bay is tightly controlled by circadian rhythm. It regulates gluconeogenesis in the liver, and gluconeogenesis is a metabolic pathway to make glucose uh, from a reserve like in the liver or other organs uh, when there's not enough carbohydrate for energy. River Bay, or River Alpha also known as, is also involved in fat cell differentiation where an unspecialized cell is turned into a fat cell. And finally, it regulates lipid metabolism. This process involves synthesis and degradation of lipids in cells for storage or breakdown of fat for energy use. Now let's learn more uh, about circadian rhythm and where the circadian rhythm process occur. The circadian rhythm is regulated by tiny nucleus in the brain called suprachiasmic nucleus. The nucleus is located just behind the eyes in the brain where the nerves of our eyes cross therefore the name suprachiasmic nucleus. This acts as a master clock to the body through the workings of the clock genes we just discussed. This tiny and compact nucleus containing about 40,000 neurons is responsible for synchronizing the rest of the body to the 24-hour day and night rhythm. 
So even when we are disconnected from the rest of the world, for instance, if we lived in a cave without any light coming in, our body physiology will continue to follow a circadian rhythm because of the rhythmic working of this nucleus. Although it is very predictable in 24-hour rhythm, it is not so rigid. If it was so, then we will not be able to travel to different time zones. So the supercosmic nucleus must gather information from the current environment to align to that time zone. This process of adaptation to the current time zone is called entrainment. The strongest entrainment signal is light, especially 400 to 500 nanometer blue light spectrum, which is plentifully available in the morning from the sun. Other entrainment signals include mealtime, socialization, and work. The information gathering starts in the eye. There are special receptors in the backside of the eyes called melanopsin that is activated upon light exposure. It is solely dedicated to sending signal to the suprachiasmic nucleus. This has nothing to do with our vision. Then, through various connections in the hypothalamus and sympathetic uh, nerves in the neck, the signal finally reaches the pineal gland. The pineal gland produces melatonin in a timed manner as dictated by the suprachiasmic nucleus. This normally occurs at night. Melatonin is released then into the bloodstream to signal the brain and rest of the body to confirm entrainment for that day. And as it does so, melatonin signals the brain and all the organs of the body that it is nighttime. This alignment of the organs to the suprachiasmic nucleus rhythm is crucial for proper functioning of the body and mind. And this is a very, very important point to remember. Okay. So in the normal day and night environment, melatonin begin to be released a few hours prior to bedtime and peaks in the middle of the night. This robust rise in melatonin synchronizes all the organs of the body to function in harmony. Melatonin release is reduced to essentially none by the daylight. Melatonin release is inhibited by bright light, especially the blue light as we discussed. This study demonstrates the large dip in melatonin uh, level in the middle of the night when exposed to bright light. The white bar represents the bright light exposure, and you can see the melatonin level plummeting during this period. Can you see that? Yeah. The most harmful behavior that causes circadian rhythm disruption is irregular sleep pattern and exposure to bright light at night. Going to sleep at wrong time will create this harmful circadian rhythm misalignment. It's like causing a perpetual jet lag. If this mismatch of circadian rhythm and sleep persists for a long time, guess what happens? We get sick, we get diseases. Here's an illustra illustration of how circadian rhythm might cause disease. A represents a healthy circadian rhythm with all the organs, organs synchronized to each other and in the correct night-day orientation in harmony. B represents the gastrointestinal system out of sync with the rest of the body due to eating at the wrong time. And the last illustration represents all the organ systems out of sync with each other because of irregular pattern of sleeping, eating, and socializing. So if poor daily, uh, so if poor daily routine, particularly the poor sleep pattern continues, it will lead to excessive stress to the body due to the organs not being able to work together in harmony and then diseases may ensue. These include mood disorders, neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, metabolic diseases like lipid disorders, and diabetes. It also affects the reproductive system and reduce fertility and gastrointestinal tract by increasing gut permeability. 
Some convincing evidence comes from study of shift workers. Shift workers often exhibit dyslipidemia, such as high triglyceride, total cholesterol, and LDL. And LDL is the bad cholesterol, as you know. They have increased incidences of obesity and diabetes. They also have increased levels of biomarkers of inflammation. And thus, this leads to cardiovascular diseases. Also, up to 60% of increased risk of breast cancer was noted in these two large prospective studies, particularly with increasing years of night shift work. So you may say, poor eating habits and other bad health behaviors in shift workers could account for some of these effects. But there was a study of hamsters that were fed same amount of food with one group forced to live in the wrong 24-hour cycle. And these mice had, or these hamsters had 11% chance more likely to die from heart disease. So to summarize, the circadian rhythm's primary purpose is to drive alertness during the day and sleep at night, as well as to synchronize organs and regulate our body function. There is another process that drives sleep, and I would like to go over this now. This process is called homeostatic sleep drive, and is thought to be driven by increasing adenosine concentration in the brain. As you, say, as you stay alert longer, more ATP is used up in the body, and ATP is a molecule used for energy production. One of the byproducts of this is adenosine. As you stay awake longer, more adenosine is built up and you become more sleepy. Caffeine is a favorite drink for a lot of people, right? Some people just like the taste of it and some people uh, drink it because they need it to stay alert. Well, caffeine is an adenosine receptor blocker and that's how it keeps you uh, alert by blocking the adenosine receptor in the brain. Are you with me so far? Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> now we're going to learn about different states of sleep. To understand sleep physiology, scientists and sleep specialists use sleep study called polysomnogram. It consists of EEG to detect brain waves, chin EMG to monitor muscle tone, and electrooculogram to detect eye movements. With this combination, we determine the stages of sleep and how well the person sleeps. And there are other uh, sensors that are used to diagnose like sleep-related breathing disorder, like sleep apnea and movement <coughs> disorders of sleep. We're not going to be talking about those tonight. When we are awake, our eyes are moving fast, scanning the environment, and the brain waves are fast. As we get drowsy, our eyes begin to move slowly in a roving fashion, muscles relax, and the brain waves start to slow down. As we reach deep sleep, the brain waves get slower and the neurons fire together in synchrony. Then about one and a half hours after falling asleep, eyes start to move very rapidly in a kind of crazy random fashion. This is called, what do you think? REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep and subsequently the rest of sleep is called Non-REM sleep. <laughs> During REM sleep, our brain waves look very much like when we are awake. But as opposed to being awake, during REM sleep, our body muscles are paralyzed and even more relaxed than during non-REM sleep. This is good because we, won't, we don't want to get hurt when we have wild, active dreams, right? So many sleep specialists or many sleep scientists believe there are three states to our brain. Awake, non-REM sleep, and REM sleep. While we are awake, we absorb information from around us and the neurons in our brain are firing rapidly in different parts of the brain to gather information. And then the executive network of the brain uh, process the information, then react to the situation. 
the brain waves are fast and appear very busy. During sleep, brain is active, but in a different way. It is thought that during sleep, the brain integrates and consolidates information so we can better access our memory. The slow-wave sleep, also known as deep sleep, is thought to be important in integrating information learned during the day to consolidate memory. This is thought to occur through highly synchronized and organized firing of the neurons. More on this later. REM sleep is thought to be important in consolidating procedural memory, also commonly known as muscle memory. Perhaps the reason for the physically active dreams that we have is because of this. Non-REM and REM sleep occur in alternating cycles, each lasting approximately 90 to 100 minutes, with a total of four to six cycles through the night. In general, in healthy young adult, non-REM sleep accounts for approximately 75% of total sleep time. And REM sleep accounts for about 25% of total sleep time. To summarize, we spend about one-third of our lives in sleep. Sleep health is vital in optimal functioning and maintenance of brain circuitry in the memory integration and consolidation. Memory integration and consolidation happens during sleep through comprehensive review of memory laid down over a lifetime in various parts of the brain. In addition, sleep health impacts every aspect of regulating our body function and mental health. So without proper sleep, diseases eventually take over. Now, before we go on, we need to touch briefly on how we stay alert. So here's a short lesson on microneuroanatomy and neurochemistry of alertness and sleep, okay? The ascending reticular activating system, or ARES for short, acts like a relay switch, helping us to come online to engage the world around us. There are many nuclei in the brainstem and the basal forebrain that function to keep us alert. These nuclei send signal to the rest of the brain and help us to engage uh, our surroundings by turning on our memory and the rest of the brain for us to move and talk. But there are also competing set of sleep nuclei embedded uh, uh, close to the alerting iris. The iris and the sleep nuclei are controlled by circadian rhythm and the homeostatic sleep drive systems. As the circadian rhythm drive for sleep and adenosine level increase, the sleep nuclei start to take over ARIS. This will eventually shut off ARIS and we become oblivious to our surroundings as we go to sleep. So now that we are all experts in the basic neuroscience of sleep, let's briefly talk about practical things of sleep and cognitive health before we go on. I'm going to get a little personal here now. I, I would like to review what cognitive health means to me as a Christian. I think this will apply to many of you as well. My goal is to optimize cognitive function for as long as God allows me to minister on this earth. First, I want to be sharp in mind when circumstances call for it and then react with the best outcome possible. I want to absorb retain and recall the things I learned when I need it and quickly. I want to learn new skills quickly and be proficient with it. I want to remember and recall good, meaningful memories like the time spent with my family and my friends. And I want to be a good witnessing person. And uh, I want to be a God-fearing, wise person. Now, I want to, uh, a lot of these goals that I have require preserving memory. So we need to get back to the science now to explain how these occur in our brain. So I would like to talk about the basic science of memory now. What do you see here? An apple. You have learned its name and the image of it sometime way in the past, right? Uh, you know it has red skin and it's pale yellow, uh, yellow, it is pale yellow inside with seeds in the center. Uh, and this is what's called semantic memory. 
uh, part of declarative memory. Uh, when you were first introduced to the apple, there was likely an experience with it, and that it's sweet and good to taste. And who gave it to you? Uh, perhaps your mother in the kitchen while you were sitting in a at a dining table. Uh, this is episodic memory or autobiographical memory, also part of declarative memory. But you probably don't remember when and how Apple was first introduced to you. Does anyone of you remember that? <laughs> it's because that part of the memory is not important, and the brain decided to weaken or disconnect it from that memory. It is thought that declarative memory is consolidated and strengthened during non-REM sleep, more specifically during slow-wave sleep or deep sleep. Remember the synchronized waves during deep sleep? I hope you do. <laughs> it is during this highly synchronized slow-wave sleep that the important synaptic connections are strengthened and less important ones weakened or eliminated. The brain reviews the information we gained during the day and integrates it to our existing autobiographical and semantic memories. Before learning about the apple, so you had to learn how to grab and coordinate so that you could take it and eat the apple. This happened through what is called procedural memory, commonly known as muscle memory. It is the unconscious learning of motor skills. And this procedural memory is thought to be consolidated and strengthened during, guess which sleep stage? REM sleep. Okay. Bef now we will, I'm gonna have to crank up a little bit more <laughs> here on the science, a little bit more on the neuroscience and get a little bit deeper. Right, stay with me, okay? Uh, I will talk about brain network connectivity that helps our brain to function now. There are trillions of synaptic connections that make up different networks of connectivity, allowing us to absorb information, think, and respond to our surroundings. So our cognitive health largely depends on preserving connectivity of these networks. Oh, what's going on here? Okay, as a human being, the most important uh, of the networks is the default mode network, or DMN for short. I may also refer to it simply as default network. This is the network that helps us to be aware of who we are. Okay? It is active when we are thinking about ourselves and others, as well as our past and our future. So in a sense, this network is what makes us who we are as human beings. It is active when we are evaluating our experiences and making plans in association with our values. It is important in forming healthy thoughts and initiating actions based on developed set of values. So disruption of this network could lead to disorderly conduct and psychiatric symptoms. This study shows that disruption of default network was noted to be a distinctive feature of numerous psychiatric and neurological diseases. This study shows weaker DMN is linked to social deficits in patients with autism and schizophrenia. Another study shows healthy DMN buffered against impulsivity in adolescents. This study shows people with healthier DMN had better working memory. So uh, it is important that this network is healthy as it translates to how well we perform our daily activities um, within the realm of our values. As mentioned earlier, important synaptic connections and are strengthened and less important ones weakened or eliminated during sleep. And parts of this default mode network is active during deep sleep and probably it continues to sort and strengthen the views of our world as we sleep. In other words, the brain rewires and reprograms to strengthen our interpretation of the world and our values that we perceive as important, the primary, this primary occurring during sleep, specifically deep sleep. Now, for instance, a Christian's experience of saving grace of God is an important and meaningful experience, right? The brain rewire connections and we respond to the world differently afterwards. Therefore, healthy default mode network is important to preserve our good values and so we can function optimally as a good human being 
and good Christians. But when we are sleep deprived, our default mode network connectivity declines as shown by this study. So to return to my personal goal on cognitive health, I want to be sharp mentally, which means I want my ascending reticular activating system to be working optimally. This occurs through good sleep the night before. I want to be able to recall well what I learned through getting good non-REM sleep. This will allow my brain to consolidate and integrate semantic memory. I want to be able to learn new skills well through good REM sleep to consolidate procedural memory. And I want to be able to remember God uh, good times with my family and friends. Good non-REM sleep will consolidate my autobiographical memory. And finally, I want to be a good person and have the wisdom to deal with the complexities of daily issues of life. And this is accomplished through healthy default mode network when I sleep well. Now let's talk about some uh, particular numbers. So how much sleep do we need? According to American Academy of Sleep Medicine and National Sleep Foundation, the appropriate sleep duration for a newborn is between 14 and 17 hours. Sleep requirement declines with aging, where adults in general require seven to nine hours of sleep, and this depends on the individual differences depending because of the genetic makeup of the person. Now, I already mentioned some adverse effects of poor sleep, but here are some more information on this topic. The immediate effect of sleep restriction influences our daily function due to reduced attention and psychomotor slowing. In addition, the reduced ability to, to stay alert and focus impacts sensory input and thus our learning and interaction with others and our environment. Also, our default network is less connected when we don't sleep well as we learned. The cognitive deficit is cumulative in sleep restriction if sleep restriction continues. For instance, after two weeks of sleep restriction to four hours, cognitive deficit accumulates to levels of impairment equivalent to one or two nights of total sleep deprivation. Chronic sleep deprivation increases risk of motor vehicle crashes in people who report less than seven hours of sleep. Another uh, study found that the performance of an individual staying awake for 17 hours was equivalent to a person with blood alcohol level of 0.05%, which increases one's risk of getting into an accident twofold. And what is the legal intoxication limit in the United States? Anyone know? 0.08%, correct. How about for commercial drivers? 0.04%. Okay. So interestingly, people who are cognitively uh, impaired from sleep, restrict, uh, sleep restriction are not aware of the degree of their impairment on, and often overestimate their abilities, which further increase their risk. This study showed poor circadian rhythm health is associated with developing dementia in older women. Remember, poor circadian rhythm health means poor sleep habits with irregular bedtime and rise time. There's increased mortality risk in people getting less than six and a half hours of sleep, according to this study. Several studies show chronic habitual sleep restriction is associated with increase in body weight and obesity. Other studies show sleep deprivation and sleep restriction lead to insulin resistance and obesity in adults and adolescents. Chronic sleep restriction increases cortisol level and thus increase sympathetic tone and cardiovascular stress. Growth hormone is suppressed with sleep deprivation. Growth hormone is thought to be important in healing our bodies. Many of my patients actually improve in their body pain and headache uh, with improved sleep. Sleep deprivation causes alteration in our immune defense functions. Sleep deprivation changes natural killer cell activity and cytokine levels. And these are all the molecules that are important in fighting off the, the invading uh, bacteria or, or viruses. And these studies show we are more prone to infections when we don't sleep well chronically. So my point number one of the lecture is that during sleep, memory is consolidated by strengthening the important synaptic connections 
and weakening the less important ones, thereby reinforcing and solidifying our memory and our values. Point number two is that with sleep fragmentation and circadian rhythm misalignment, adverse physiological changes occur that influence brain health directly and as a secondary effect from various diseases formed through metabolic, cardiovascular, and inflammatory insults. Now, we will move on to point number three. And this is the last point. <laughs> uh, while we are awake, metabolic waste and toxins build up in our brain as a result of high energy using during synaptic activities. During sleep, waste is eliminated through the lymphatic system to preserve overall health and function of the brain. And I will talk about the lymphatic system in a moment. Before that, I, I want to tell you about Alzheimer's disease. So beta amyloid is one of the, the byproducts toxin in the brain. Beta amyloid deposition is thought to be pathologic hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. As it accumulates in the brain, the amyloid plaque are thought to be associated with destruction of the neurons. Amyloid deposition starts early, many years before the clinical stages of Alzheimer's disease. This study shows that 25 to 30% of cognitively normal people had amyloid deposition. So there is opportunity to intervene before clinical stages of Alzheimer's disease is apparent. This study show evidence for increase in beta amyloid protein after just one night of sleep deprivation. This suggests that sleep has something to do with amyloid clearance from the brain. In 2013, the lymphatic system was discovered only just a few years ago. This system is important in clearing the toxic metabolic byproducts from the brain during sleep. The interstitial space between the brain cells open up during sleep as the cells shrink in size. Beta amyloid protein is one of the toxic byproducts and is cleared this way during slow-wave sleep or deep sleep. Beta amyloid protein concentration is increased by sleep deprivation and reduced by inducing sleep in animals. It has been reported that reducing beta amyloid pr uh, production by 25 to 40 percent may completely protect the person from Alzheimer's disease. So how do we do that? With good sleep, there is as much as 25% reduction in beta amyloid con concentration. This suggests that improving slow-wave sleep may decrease or possibly prevent Alzheimer's disease. And finally, here are some practical suggestions for sleep. In order to maintain good sleep health, we need to remember to keep our good circadian rhythm health. So how do we maintain good sleep and circadian rhythm? Uh, in order to solidify and entrain good circadian rhythm, we want to have good bright light exposure in the morning. We want to go walking in the morning hours to soak up the natural light God has created for us. And that is important to entrain our brain to that time zone where we are located, right? We don't want to be living in a different time zone. We want to also eat a regular time schedule, eat at regular time schedules and eat well. Avoid taking naps, but if you must, you could take 15-minute power nap in the early afternoon before 3 p.m. for a refreshing nap. In the evening, uh, we want to dim the lights so the melatonin release at night will be robust. This will help all our organs to be nicely synchronized and work in harmony. We want to avoid any mental or physical activities that will prevent us from falling asleep at the proper time by turning off all the electronic devices that has screens on them, at least an hour before bedtime. If there's anything that you need to do the following day but can't get it out of your mind, write them down and forget about them. It will be there in the morning, right? Half an hour before bedtime, start relaxing activities to set your mind and body for sleep. You may want to have personal devotion, or you may want to do personal journaling, journaling on positive things. Gratitude journaling by thinking of three things that you are thankful for over the last one to two days may help you to focus on positive things. If there are other worries, give all to God. 
because it may not be your job to worry about them anyways. Then turn off the lights at your, uh, light at your scheduled bedtime and go to sleep. Remember to reserve your bed for sleep and romance only because other prolonged habitual activities in bed may condition your brain to think it is not a place to sleep anymore. The longer you stay um, in bed awake, doing other things, including worrying or even just thinking, can condition your brain to this effect. Perpetual poor bed habits like these may lead to what is called psychophysiological insomnia. Keep cell phones, computer screens, and TV out of bedroom. Don't work or do other things that will interfere with sleeping well. Remember to get in the habit of going to bed and rising in the morning at a regular time. Remember that poor sleep habits lead to poorer functioning of our body and mind and diseases eventually ensue. And finally, remember, without good sleep habits, our brain ages quicker as it is not able to clear the waste byproducts. Now, very quickly, we will go through uh, the studies that show benefits of healthy diet and exercise in relation to sleep. Here are some studies suggesting that regular exercise, especially exercise in nature, helps one to obtain deeper sleep. Here's a study showing relationship between diet and sleep. It showed that people with irregular eating pattern took longer to fall asleep and had less deep sleep. Eating regularly improves deep sleep. Increased fiber intake increased deep sleep. Increase in saturated fat meals predicted less deep sleep. And finally, sugar and other processed carbohydrates cause more arousals during sleep. Now, I had some slides uh, ready for, uh, to discuss about sleep disorders because even if you sleep really well or if you have all the right habits of sleeping, if you have sleep disorders, then, um, then you won't have quality sleep. And I, I just don't have the time to discuss all this tonight. Uh, and I could, I'd be happy to talk to you about it um, after the talk. Uh, but delayed sleep awake phase disorder is a, is a condition where our circadian rhythm is delayed. And so melatonin comes out later. And this happens uh, very commonly in uh, teenage, uh, uh, teenage uh, uh, and young adults. Uh, and so, you know, at the school time, when they're supposed to be in bed by 9 o'clock, uh, if they're delayed by, say, 5 hours, their body is telling them it's 2 o'clock, uh, or what is it? 9 o'clock minus 5 is what? Uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so naturally, their body is not ready to go to sleep, and they're not, they're not going to be able to sleep, right? Uh, and so... Um, the way to correct this is um, to have bright light. Uh, let, you know, figure out when they actually, uh, their biological uh, uh, sleep time is. And this is done uh, on the weekends when they don't have to go to school. And so let them just stay up and see when they fall asleep. And that's gotta be their biological bedtime, okay? Uh, and then they will naturally wake up eight to nine hours later um, in the late morning or early afternoon hours. And so that's their rhythm. And it's like they're being in a, like in a Hawaii time zone, you see? Their body's in a different time zone. And so to bring it back, then you want to do that bright light exposure after they wake up, their body wakes up in the afternoon or late in the morning hours, and give them a little bit of melatonin, about 0.5 milligram, about five hours before bedtime, and advance the bedtime by 30 minutes to 60 minutes every day until you get to your goal of, uh, your bedtime. Um, so that's delayed sleep-wake phase disorder. And then there's restless leg syndrome. And probably a lot of you have heard about restless leg syndrome, uh, where the common, uh, common symptoms are uncomfortable sensation in the legs to, and, and the urge to move them. Um, and if you move them, they get better. And uh, it's more uh, frequent in the evening hours, causing uh, insomnia and sleep disruption. Um, so let me, and there are some um, things that could make restless leg worse. Um, 
and there are certain medications that uh, make restless leg worse. And these are caffeine. Caffeine is one of them. Um, let's see. And, and all the antidepressants make it worse, uh, except for something called bupropion. Um, and antihistamines like Benadryl can make it worse as well. So the treatment really uh, involves trying to avoid these um, things that could make restless leg worse, um, and also finding out whether if you have iron deficiency, because iron deficiency would, will make iron, uh, restless leg worse. So, you know, I commonly um, uh, order what's called ferritin level. A ferritin level represents your uh, iron store in the body, and if it's less than 75, and that's, that's actually a normal number. Like, normal is, um, you know, 40. Upper limit is like 40, I think. Um, and so we sleep physicians uh, like to use the number 75. And if you're below 75, we give iron tablet. Uh, and we try to bring it up, and the rest look like get better. Um, okay. And then finally, sleep apnea is a condition where the airway collapses as we go to sleep because the muscles relax. The muscles uh, relax not just in our body, but also in our tongue uh, and the muscles that uh, surround the airway that support to keep the airway open. And so as we go to sleep, these muscles relax and the, the airway could collapse completely or partially to the point where you don't get enough oxygen. So brain doesn't like it, so it gets aroused um, and opens up the airway so that you could breathe. But as soon as the brain relaxes and goes back to sleep, then the muscles are going to collapse and it's going to um, cause that cycle over and over again, causing sleep disruption and daytime sleepiness and fatigue. Um, and so the treatment um, is um, CPAP therapy, which uh, uh, presses the air in through the mask and pressurizes the backs of the throat to keep that airway from collapsing. Uh, and then alternatively, if the patient cannot uh, use CPAP therapy for various different reasons, then we have something called oral appliance therapy. And this device is uh, used at nighttime, inserted into the mouth, and the purpose of it is to bring the lower jaw forward a little bit at a time, and, and as the lower jaw comes forward, then it brings the tongue forward, and so it gives you more room to breathe behind the tongue so that airway doesn't collapse. So this is an alternative treatment option for mild to moderate sleep apnea. It doesn't work so well for severe sleep apnea. Um, and then there are some surgeries as well. And surgeries, uh, we try to, to reserve as a last resort of treatment if nothing else works. Um, and so my conclusion uh, for tonight is um, sleep health is just as important as diet and exercise when considering lifestyle factors in optimizing your cognitive health, general health, and well-being. With proper sleep, your glucose, blood pressure, mood, headache, pain, and other conditions may improve, and above all, prevent diseases, including perhaps cancer and even dementia. All right, well, that's it. Thank you very much for your attention. And <laughs> so I think uh, if you would like, I, I'll uh, take some questions now. I have a mic, so if you could pass this down. Okay, we know about healthy sleep, so what do you do with people who just plain can't go to sleep? Right, and so there's a lot of different causes for insomnia, right? Um, and uh, so if you had this persisting night after night uh, for more than one month, it's a problem and uh, you're getting into a chronic phase of insomnia. And so you need evaluation by sleep doctors. Yeah, so uh, I can't tell you what to do because it, you know, it requires about an hour of evaluation to figure out what's going on. Yeah. But some of the th things uh, that could cause insomnia are the restless leg syndrome we discussed is one of them, and then um, others are just bad habit of, you know, not, not uh, sleeping, um, not having a good sleep habit, or you know, there are other things too. But anyways, yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, I got a question about exercise uh, versus daytime, nighttime. Do those affect 
sleep. Yeah, so that's a good point, and I didn't, I didn't uh, mention that, but uh, when we exercise, we increase our adrenaline, right? And that, that excites us. And so uh, the, uh, the recommendation is not to exercise within three hours of bedtime. So if exercise should be done before three hours of bedtime. It seems that when you talk to people about this kind of a problem, so many people are saying, oh, I'll just take a sleeping pill. It seems to me from what you've said tonight that that is just defeating our own purpose. Correct. And so sleep medicine is good for temporary measure. And you don't want to be using that every night forever. Um, part of the reason being that a lot of these sleep medicine eventually wear off and it doesn't work anymore. Uh, or you could get psychologically dependent on it. There's, there are many different reasons why you shouldn't do that. Uh, if you need the sleeping medicine occasionally, once in a while, I think it's okay. Uh, you know, we all have those nights where we can't sleep and we have some important duty or something, some important engagement the following day we need sleep for. Uh, and so I think occasionally like that would be fine. But uh, if you cannot sleep without the sleeping medicine, uh, and you take sleeping medicine every night, then um, sleep doctors could help you with that and figure out what's what was the, the initial cause for your insomnia uh, and then go from there. Can you tell us just a little bit more or about having a cell phone by your bedside or turning off the computer at night? Um, a lot of people do that, and I would like to hear a little bit more about that and what the problems are associated with that. Sure, yeah. So uh, computer screens or even cell phone screens are pretty bright. Um, and uh, it has blue light spectrum in it. All the white light has blue light spectrum in it. And that light is going to reduce your melatonin level at nighttime. And uh, you need that melatonin to help you to sleep. Uh, but more importantly, it helps your body to work better by harmonizing your, all the organs together. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit confused when you were talking about, like, if you have a child who the sleep rhythm is off. Yeah. Um, again, how, how early are you supposed to give them the blue light or, I'm not quite sure, or the melatonin? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go through this here. Um, so once you figure out when their natural biological uh, sleep time is, um, so, so say, let's say that the adolescent uh, likes to, on the weekends, go to bed, go to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? And that happens commonly. And, um, and so if you leave them alone, they'll wake up about eight or nine hours after that. So about 11 o'clock in the morning is when they're going to wake up. And so that's their natural body biological clock driving that rhythm. Okay, so they're really delayed, right? They're delayed about four, four hours or so. And uh, so to bring it back, uh, if you shine bright light when they're awake in the morning hours after their biological wake-up time, which is 11 o'clock in the morning. If you give them sh bright light after that, shortly after that, then it's going to bring the body rhythm back a little bit, about 30 minutes to an hour backwards. Okay? Uh, and so if you do that every day like that, then, and have them go to bed 30 minutes to an hour earlier every day, then it, it'll be easier for them to do that if you give them that bright light. Now, if you want a little bit extra push, then you give them melatonin five hours before their biological sleep time. So if his, if his biological sleep time is 2 o'clock in the morning, then five hours before that is 9 o'clock. That's when you give it. And the next day, you give it an hour before that so they could go to bed an hour earlier. You know, eight o'clock uh, melatonin, and then bedtime at one, and then 7 p.m. melatonin, and then 12 midnight bedtime, you know, and so on. 
but, that, but melatonin is not as, as effective as the bright, bright light uh, after they, their biological rise time. So melatonin just pushes a little bit more. Okay. I think the microphone's over here. So. I average four hours of sleep a night. I go to bed at nine, I'm wide awake at one o'clock. I go to bed at 10, I'm wide awake at two o'clock. I'll be at least one to two hours mm -hmm. before I get sleepy again and go back to sleep. And it happens every single night. How long has it been like that? Probably six months. Just six months, okay. So maybe there's something else going on uh, with your body. Um, maybe one of the sleep disorders that I've mentioned, like sleep apnea, um, or something else that's going on in your body that might be making you wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's because a person has been doing that or working uh, in that kind of schedule uh, for many, many years. And, but in your case, that's different, though. Only six months, so there's something else going on. I heard that the uh, hours before midnight are twice as good as the ones after. Mm -hmm. I want to know if that was true, and maybe you could share with us your own personal habits on sleep and how... <laughs> you cornered me in. <laughs> uh, so as far as uh, refreshing sleep uh, before going to bed before midnight is concerned, that's very true in most cases. And the reason being, again, going back to this circadian rhythm, you know, so our circadian rhythm uh, drives our melatonin to come out about 8 o'clock if we go to bed by 10 or 11 o'clock. Um, and, and so if we go to bed later, the melatonin has already risen, and you're going against that rhythm. Uh, and uh, so, so your body's not going to work as well, and so you're going to be more tired. Okay? On the other hand, take that adolescent that likes to go to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning, now, for him, it doesn't, if he does it every night, then it's okay because his rhythm is delayed, you see. Um, so he could go to bed at 12 o'clock. If there's no social pressure, it will be fine for his body. But often, there's social pressure, and that causes less sleep, sleep deprivation, and our kids are growing up with sleep deprivation because of this. And that's why there's, you know, there's a push to delay the uh, morning classes for high schools, and even probably should be for college as well. Yeah. So I have a student, teenage student, she's 13, I think, and she can't sleep very much at night. She has no trouble going to sleep, but then she wakes up and after just a few hours. Mm -hmm. And she was told by her doctor that melatonin will, if she starts taking it, that it will cause an addiction. Is that true? Uh, no, melatonin does not cause addiction. Um, however, again, going back to trying to figure out why that person is having that issue is important. Um, and uh, if melatonin helps, that's great. But again, how long are you going to be taking melatonin for? You know, uh, we don't know an adverse effect of melatonin at this point, um, but melatonin receptors are in like ovaries, um, and so how in young uh, women, how is that going to affect their uh, future fertility or, you know, we don't know. So for kids, we are very cautious in using melatonin. I have a question about uh, if you've been sentenced to a CPAP machine, <laughs> is there any hope or chance of graduating? If you have mild sleep apnea, maybe, yes, by losing weight. Um, so even 5% uh, of weight loss could really improve by sleep apnea by 25% or more. 
And if you have mild sleep apnea, that might be the cure. Um, and uh, for other folks with more severe sleep apnea, it's hard to um, get cured, unfortunately. Um, and uh, you know, losing weight will help, and you know, the pressure for CPAP could come down because you have more room in your airway. Um, but oftentimes, we can't get rid of the treatment. Yeah. Um, I take a lot of vitamins, and my lab work is good, uh -huh. but I don't sleep. And I've taken melatonin. It doesn't phase me. Yeah. And I've even taken the little sleep pills for the marijuana ones. They're supposed to be good. <laughs> that doesn't phase me. Uh -huh. uh, right. I've tried everything. I've did the diet. I've done the... the do this before and that after, and I yeah. keep the lights off. I never let lights show, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And so, how am I taking vitamins that that mess me up? Uh, that's a good question. And uh, as far as sleep effect is concerned, I don't know of any bad sleep effect. But there are some. Uh, there are. Uh, there was one study that recently, a large study that showed taking multiple vitamins actually reduced your lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll see whether if that's really true or not with uh, more studies coming out in the future. But, uh, I brought my list of vitamins <laughs> <laughs> because I'm desperate. Yeah, uh, and so as far as the... Uh, so there is a psychophysiological insomnia that I talked to about earlier uh, is a condition where the brain uh, gets in the habit of not sleeping when you go to bed. Yeah. So some people, you know, they get tired before bedtime, so, but when, they, when you go to bed, then you're, you know, really alert. Right. Uh, and that's because of this habit that brain formed. Habit is a good thing, actually, right? That, that, you I, know, I don't even try to go to bed before 12, 1 o'clock. And can you sleep? No. Yeah. So at 5.40, I'm looking at the clock. I try not right. to look at the clock because I know that's not a good thing either. Right, right. And so sometimes I get desperate, and so I turn the little thing on. Yeah. <laughs> it's 4 o'clock or yeah. 5.40, and I'm still rolling around in bed. So uh, there's what's called cognitive behavioral therapy for exactly the type of insomnia that you're describing. It's called, you know, the, the psychophysiological insomnia. And it takes a uh, frequent visit to the sleep doctor with mimic, uh, 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 finally looking at your sleep pattern, keeping a sleep diary, and so on. Uh, and uh, it takes about a month sometimes, or a couple of months, to, to, to treat this. Uh, well, I'm 89. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've done it long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for those of you who are interested in this cognitive behavioral therapy, there's actually an online uh, app that you could download on your smartphone. Um, if you want to write this down, it's called CBTI, um, CBTI Coach. CBT and then dash I and, and then Coach. So that, look that app, app up and you know, download it. And uh, it has a lot of information of what I talked about, about the sleep habits um, and how you could improve your sleep with psychophysiological insomnia. How do you spell that coach? Coach, C-O-A-C-H. Yeah. yeah. CBT for cognitive behavioral therapy dash I and then coach. C-O-A-C-H. I may drift off to sleep while driving. I, I didn't catch your question. <laughs> I found that if I don't drink enough water in the daytime, I may drift off to sleep briefly while driving. Ah, right. <laughs> I see. What's that? 
Yeah. <laughs> but that, that happened before I got to be 90, quite a while before I got to be 90. Yeah. It, it might be your body's getting tired if you get dehydrated, perhaps. I, I don't know the reason why for that. Yeah. So maybe one more question and then... Okay. You have referred quite a few times to the biological time clock or the circadian rhythm as if this is the way I'm made and I can't change it. Um, I'm a morning person or I'm uh -huh. an evening person. Uh -huh. you know, uh, yeah. Isn't there really a, a way to adapt it a little closer toward, you know, like when it gets dark, you go to bed. Uh -huh. when, you, when it gets light, you wake up. Yes, yes, there is. And, and there is a... Yeah, depending on how, uh, what we inherited from our parents, we're either morning person, like you said, or evening person. The interesting thing is that, just listen to me <laughs> a little bit more. So the, the morning person tend to have a shorter circadian rhythm. So when you put, put them, for instance, in a cave and let them live and give them plenty of food and electricity light inside but nothing connected to the outside world, they will um, go to bed earlier and earlier every night and wake up earlier and earlier. Whereas the evening person, their rhythm is longer. So they will go to bed later and later and wake up later and later. And so that's the difference. But, uh, but it changes though, like you said, you know, like a teenager that has delayed rhythm, they go to bed later. But as we age, actually, we tend to go to sleep earlier and earlier, too. So it does change over time. And, and we can modify uh, this sleep pattern uh, by, you know, our lifestyle. And you know, like in the military, you have to get up early, even if you're a late sleeper, if, you know, uh, you have to get up early. You're forced to do that. And you naturally go to bed earlier because your 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 social activity or you're, you're working during the daytime. You're waking up early, and that forces your rhythm to get or, you know, get sooner or shorter. Yeah. Does that become the new biological time? Yeah. Yes, for that for that time when they're. But if if the person is relaxed again, not in that regimented lifestyle, then it's going to slowly delay again. <laughs> yeah, you know that that could be an issue, uh, and <laughs> but if you if you if you you know exercise together, eat together at the same time, and all that, well, that will help <laughs> to synchronize each other. <laughs>